0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by the new Discover Amarillo app. This free download is designed to be a resource for new Amarillo residents and anyone else who wants to keep up with local events, activities, shopping, businesses, and more. It even maintains a list of family-friendly restaurants with Kids Eat Free offers. You can find out more at discoveramarellotx.com or head to your app store of choice to download the Discover Amarello app today. That's the Discover Amarello app now available for iPhone and Android. So this is the last episode of the year, and instead of doing a regular interview, I decided to end the year with a mailbag episode in which listeners ask questions of me and Hey Amarello editor Angelina Marie. We're gonna dig through those in this episode. It's one of the only ways that I can get Angelina behind the microphone instead of behind a camera or a laptop. So we end up discussing stuff like the editing process, My personal vocal tics, um, hidden gems in Amarillo, the things that concern us about Amarillo's future, and unexpected moments that happened during my interviews. There's a lot of deep background types of information in this one. It's a lot of fun. So here's Angelina Marie and some questions. Angelina Marie, welcome to the microphone of Hey Amarillo podcast.
1: Jason Boyette. There you are in person. That's
0: right. Finally, we've seen each other in person instead of dealing with each other (laughs) digitally. Um, This is a really different episode because it doesn't have any structure to it, so I don't have my regular thing to say at the beginning um, because this is a mailbag episode. And both of us have talked to uh, some of our friends and listeners and followers and asked them to submit questions to us to answer about the podcast or Amarillo or all that kind of stuff as sort of a year-end episode. So that's what we're doing. And I'm telling you that, even though you already know that, but by telling you, I'm hoping the listeners get an idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty pretty sure I know what's happening. <laughs> okay.
0: So that's what we're doing. Are you ready for it? Sure. Okay. How do you feel about being in front of a microphone and not just editing this show?
1: Uh, I feel like I'm going to mess up, <laughs> but then I can just edit it out, so okay. it's fine.
0: That's true um okay well let's let's jump right to it we we got some really interesting questions and i'm interested to see what your answers to some of these are so let's start with um the dumbest question on our list and that's from our friend jeff uh who (laughs) both of us know which would you rather fight a horse-sized duck or 50 duck-sized horses
1: Okay, I actually want to tame the horse-sized duck to be my pet, and I want to ride it around town.
0: Okay, so you're not going to fight
1: I'm not even going fight to fight it. it. I'm going to fight it into submission is what I'm going to do. You're going to yeah. break that duck? Yes. That what, what horse-sized I, <laughs> duck. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? If
0: I'm going to have to fight them, um, which I took the question literally and didn't think about taming mm. any of the creatures, um, I'm going to fight the 50 duck-sized horses. Because there's something about a horse sized duck that is terrifying to me because that bill is really big.
1: They could literally snap you in half. It could. Yeah.
0: Like, even as an adult, if I'm feeding a duck, I'm a little jumpy around the snapping duck bills. And so, if that bill was like the size of my head, I would be really, um, I would be nervous about that.
1: And they have teeth. Yeah. Those little tiny teeth would be a lot bigger. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I figure a bunch of tiny horses. Like I could get away from them. Well, they might be fast, but
1: yeah, they'd be pretty cute, though. You could make them your pets. Well, you couldn't. That it would be like a
0: fighting off fifty wiener dogs or
1: something. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do. But I feel
0: like I could escape them. Yeah, if I needed to. Yeah. Um, Okay, so thanks, Jeff. That's a good question to start us off. Here's one from Ryan, who is also a mutual friend of ours. What kind of stores would you most like to see setting up shop downtown? So downtown Polk Street used to be all kinds of um, department stores, shopping, all that stuff back in the heyday, 50s and 60s. It's not really anymore. I mean, there's very little retail down there.
1: Yeah. My mom talks about uh, in the 60s when it was where you would go shopping. She lived in Crest and that was like a trip to the city with fancy dress shops and record Mm -hmm. stores and soda shop and all that.
0: She came to Amarillo rather than Lubbock? Yep. Crest is closer to Lubbock, isn't it? Uh, No. Or is it about midway?
1: No, it's actually closer. It's actually closer, down. closer here. Yeah.
0: What would I mean? What would you like to see if there were retail downtown? What would be
1: cool? Uh, Colin and I actually talked about this. You know, when we would hang out at Six Car, we wanted like an old school deli uh, that you know made their own bread and had really good meats, and then also a small grocery.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I would love to see a neighborhood grocery store that's not Toot Totem, that's not United, that's not Walmart. Something that's actually local, which I know is really hard the way the economy is designed now, yeah. but um, I, I think that's what downtown is missing to make it livable, yeah. is is a grocery store.
0: And I think the nearest home-owned grocery stores are like Yes to Foods, mm-hmm. which isn't too far away, but it's not downtown. Like It's, it's not really walkable. It's in the barrio. Yeah, it's yeah. not walkable. But yeah, when you get away from the big United Supermarkets and Walmart grocery stores, like The only grocery stores are like the little Mexican groceries, and Mm -hmm. we have Market Thirty Three. Market Thirty Three is locally owned. That would be cool. It would make it a place where there's going to be more people actually living in apartments downtown. Mm -hmm. There are a few.
1: I do worry though that the uh, the way grocery stores seem to work now, and I could be wrong, but it's almost impossible for a small business owner to have a single grocery store. Like you have to be big enough. To get discounted bulk product, so right. that you're not passing on such a high cost to your to your customers.
0: How do those little bodegas work in New York City? And oh, places man, like that. I don't
1: know. I'd love that. It would though. be so cool. Gosh, that little bodega cat hanging out. Yeah, that'd be so good.
0: <laughs> I would like. This isn't retail. Um, I don't. I don't know if retail will return to downtown. Like it's
1: gonna be clothes a while.
0: shopping and stuff. I mean, seems like that's a better fit for the Wolfland Villages and shopping centers and places like that. Never say never. um, I would like to see a diner, like a legit classic diner somewhere downtown or anywhere in Amarillo, really. Yes. That that feels like, you know, the inner city kinds of diners where you walk in and sit in a booth and drink coffee or eat a hamburger.
1: It's an old greasy spoon. Yeah. 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 That would be fantastic.
0: There's a waitress named Flo.
1: Yes. That would make Wes Reeves really happy, too.
0: I feel like that's something that we don't really have, at least the iconic cultural kind of diner. Yeah, we might have everyone goes to
1: I guess Waffle House, but that's again a chain.
0: Yeah, it's a chain. Yeah.
1: Okay, so this question comes from Youngblood Moon on Instagram. What
0: Youngblood underscore Moon? Oh, excuse me. Don't confuse them Gosh. with the regular Youngblood okay. Moon.
1: <laughs> yes, that's that is true. It is Instagram. Okay, what is your favorite hidden gem of Amarillo that you feel like people are underutilizing?
0: Okay, so this question, I think of a hidden gem as like a place that maybe a local would take a tourist to that a tourist is not going to figure out on their own. Um, And also I think of it in terms of something that I personally am not utilizing. But like, I think Thompson Park is a really cool park. And I don't ever go there.
1: I was there yesterday.
0: Were you really? Oh, yeah. For a photo shoot?
1: Nope. Just to walk around. Just to walk around. Beautiful.
0: Like it's got trees.
1: It does. And, and it has
0: some, yeah, creeks and stuff. And there's a, a frisbee golf course there that I've played before, but haven't played in more than a decade. And I think that's a cool thing. And that's a, a thing that I would want people to know that is something that Amarillo has that's like an, I mean, we talk about, Parks all the time, we talk about there aren't great trails or hiking or things like that. But I mean, you can walk around under trees at Thompson Park for a long, long time
1: mm-hmm.
0: and almost lose sight of the fact that you're in the middle of, of Amarillo.
1: And it does make for beautiful photos. It does. Because there are trees and shade and in the fall, the leaves are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hills. It's kind of hilly. There's some hills. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's near the North Heights, kind of past the North Heights, which is known for being the highest part of Amarillo. So, um, and I should, I should go play Frisbee golf there.
1: Yes. Yes, you should, should take Owen out there. And yeah.
0: We, we like to do that sort of thing. What is it for you?
1: Well, now you made me think of kind of rethink that one. I'm just going to give a shout out to Wildcat Bluff cause not enough people go hiking. That's there. true. Um, but for me, I kind of thought more locally owned business and I'm going to go with Colici still fairly new. It's, uh, a record store, a bookstore, vintage clothing, art, jewelry, and it's events. Know, it's events. They do movies. They do live music. They even had an author come and give a talk. Um, you know, it's locally owned by four really cool, creative people with all different ideas. So, I just really encourage people to to support that one. It's one of my fa- one of my favorites. I might be biased because I do sell vintage clothing there.
0: You've had a <laughs> photography show there, I had an
1: art show there. I hosted Rocky Horror Picture Show there, yeah. so. But, I mean, that's the thing is they are open to collaborate and they love, you know, meeting new people. So
0: so Lance Garza of Kalichi is an upcoming guest on the podcast. Yeah, he was
1: just here, wasn't he?
0: He was, he was just here. here. We recorded it before we recorded this episode. Uh, so you'll get to listen to that. But I, that is something I really love about at least that business is that it is so different. Like mm-hmm. it's it's multiple products and businesses and things under one roof. And that's a different sort of mindset, I think, for Amarillo. Yeah. That yeah. people think, well, I'm going to open a business and it's this kind of business. And they just thought, we're going to put all the things we love into this one package.
1: Yeah, and it's not like, um, you know, From Sixth did that and The Nat did that, which is awesome. I love both of those. But, like, it's not boutique and it's not, I don't know, I don't want to say it's not fancy, but it's not fancy. It's 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 yeah. Amarillo, it's Texas, and it's just
0: it's a little weirder though. Yeah, that's why like I, that's the good kind, like the good yeah. kind of weird. the good kind of weird mm-hmm. for sure. Plus, you know, Ashley's got a therapy aspect yes. in the back.
1: Yeah, which only makes it better.
0: Okay, what celebrity sighting would have you staking out the barfield? So Tim McGraw's been there, Faith Hill, Sam Elliott. Who do you who would you go see?
1: I'm really sorry, y'all. I can't roll my eyes hard enough at this. Man, just let them chill. Let them enjoy their drink. I get it. I know it's exciting. I'm only saying this because my most embarrassing moment of my life was when I actually stalked a celebrity at a hotel. Really? I did. It was You're really- going to have to
0: tell that story then.
1: Okay. Uh, okay. So when the Ambassador Hotel was still open and it was the only fancy hotel we had, that's the one on I-40, um... There's a band called A Perfect Circle who came into town. This was, I believe, 2003. I was much younger, much dumber. And the lead singer is my role model, my idol. And a friend of mine happened to manage the hotel and he got me a room like on the same floor, which mm-hmm. he should not have at all. But I would hang out in the little lobby area. And at this point, like, I'm sure. knew who I was because I was very adamant at every show and I would send him fan art and this is so embarrassing y'all I would never (laughs) ever ever do this I don't ever want to meet him because I'm just so embarrassed but I had a piece of art that I wanted to put on his door and I did and uh I took his do not disturb sign and they set the fire alarm off to get me out of there and the band did yes all right I'm sure they called the front desk and had them do it and that is just mortifying I could not imagine doing that to a human being now because I respect their space I respect them they're just making art and they just happened to get well known for what they do and that is amazing I'm happy for them but good god they just want to be left alone
0: (laughs) I'm sort of of that mindset like I've been in a couple of places where I saw a celebrity and like my approach is to just acknowledge the celebrity and just say hey Sam Elliott and just keep walking past yep um although the last time I was with my son and I knew he wanted a picture with an NBA player and so he did that but yeah I mean there is something about just kind of being cool and not interrupting their nice quiet drink yeah because how many photos did they have to take Mm
1: -hmm. that night and now unfortunately this is great for the Barfield but I just want to go chill sometimes and that place is packed. Yeah. Cuz they want to see a celebrity and I'm just like, can we just let it go and go back to what it was? But good for Barfield. They're doing great. Well,
0: maybe they they offered to let him stay there. And
1: probably cuz it's great been for business. Good marketing for him. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'm going to ask you this one and I know that you you probably Well, I don't know if anybody ever asks you this one, but what's your podcast workflow and what podcast editing software do you use? That's a question from Greg.
1: So Jason sends me a podcast uh, like Wednesday or Thursday, and then it has to be in by Monday. So Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) At the
0: last minute?
1: I'm usually scrambling. No, Sunday is my ritual. Sunday morning I go to Palace. in my earbuds and I edit the podcast. um, It's really easy now. The first one took me eight hours. Uh, That was my own fault, just because I was learning. But now it takes me about two hours per episode, if that. And I don't know, yeah, I just use GarageBand and super easy, super simple.
0: You've uh, you said before that you can see some of my vocal ticks just in the histogram now. Yes. Like you don't even have to hear it. You know where it's coming.
1: Yeah. I can actually edit the podcast without listening to it close. Like I can just hear it and not actually hear it. I don't know how else to explain that.
0: I, I understand that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I can see your um, tics. I You can mimic your guests sometimes, which is really interesting. Ooh, do I? You do, yeah. This is a very common thing for people adults to do. Like, they just mimic each other.
0: Like, one. if they have a perkier talking style, like, does my now, inflection have, change, or...
1: um Kind of. But if they have a tick, you pick up that tick as the podcast goes on. That's weird. Because sometimes uh,
0: yeah. those ticks annoy me.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and I'm
0: conscious of you having... I'm, I'm going to be like, yeah, she's going to hate this one. She's going to have to edit all this stuff out.
1: that's just part of it. But... No, it's it's gotten to the point where I hear your voice so much that you're almost my subconscious voice. <laughs> like when I'm being told not to do something in my head, it's usually Jason's voice. Yeah,
0: I'm your Jiminy Cricket.
1: Yes, I'll take it. It's fine.
0: So right now there's like a lawnmower or leaf blower or something outside. Do you ever hear outside stuff while we're recording? Um, I'm always worried about that because...
1: Sometimes I can hear like if a really heavy truck drives by, I can mm-hmm. hear that. But no, I I bet we'll be okay with that, and then I can hear something going on out in the living room. But I think we'll be okay.
0: Yeah, I'm always surprised what comes through and what doesn't. I mean, some interviews that I think were a disaster because of noises and stuff like that. You're like, no, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Um, and and then through some the, are harder than others.
1: <laughs> through the magic of editing. Yeah, we've had I won't name names, but we've had a few guests that. Uh, oh my gosh, they they're probably super nervous, and that's understandable. And they tend to say, um, uh, you know, like between every other word almost and that. That takes me a while, but that's part of my job. It's what I get paid for.
0: And it's, it's a balance because, like, I don't want you to take out all of those no, because then it sounds like a robot. But we don't want to leave in so many that people become distracted by it. Which right. it's easy to get distracted by that stuff if you're listening to it in a podcast setting as opposed to just having a conversation with somebody.
1: Oh, I can't listen to podcasts now without constantly picking apart everything. I was listening to one the other day with a very well-known author who speaks for a living and he ticks every time he starts a sentence. He goes, ooh, ooh man, that was that's, take... that's my thing. The ticks are my thing.
0: And I've listened to podcasts that are just not edited at all. And that drives me crazy because, like, i I don't want to hear the guest sniff
1: Mm-mm.
0: while talking. Like,
1: take that out. It's not a, hard. Yeah, this is just us getting nitpicky. So yeah, it don't. is, but no, I, I think it's
0: it's a it's a mindset. Um, and I don't ever talk about the editing process on the show, but like, I want my guests to come across good. I want you to be impressed by who they are when you listen to it and if you're distracted by a verbal tic that they might have like i feel like that can get in the way of it mm-hmm. and so just throwing it out there completely unpolished or unedited to me feels like a disservice to the guests like i know i've got tics and people probably understand those and you don't take all of mine out either uh, so it's less about me looking good and it's more like i want people to to hear what the guests have to say and not hear the weird things they do with their mouths
1: Well, on every guest that I've talked to after the fact, they're like, oh my gosh, please make me sound good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's what I do. Yeah, that's our job.
0: Well, good work with that.
1: Thanks. Okay, so we got a question from Brenda, another mutual friend, and she asks, what interview took the longest from concept to broadcast?
0: I know exactly which one it was. And um, it was Scott Buchanan's. And... One of the reasons that one took so long is that I interviewed him in late December of 2019, uh, I think right after Christmas. And he was somebody that I wanted to interview for a long time. And uh, so I knew that his story would be good because it was about YCSF and that whole origin story and all that stuff. But just because of my own scheduling um Desires and trying to balance out different kinds of careers and men and women and all that stuff. I held on to it too long. And by the time I was ready to release it, or at least to give it to you, it was like early March of 2020. And then all the COVID stuff started happening. And then I was like, I can't just throw this interview from the before times in the middle of COVID. Uh, and so I sat on that for months and months and months and I finally gave it to you, I think at the end of last year, at the end of 2020 to edit. Uh, so I, I think I sat on that one for at least 11 months or so. I don't remember the actual date that it came out. Plus there were a few editing challenges with that one anyway. And maybe I didn't even give you that one to edit. I just did that one myself.
1: Yeah. You edited that one.
0: Yeah. I did that one myself. Yeah. Because of the challenges, sometimes when they're really, really hard, instead of us wasting time, me trying to give you what I want you to do with it, I just keep it myself. Yeah, I'm that much of a control freak. Yes. Um, but that one, it it was, it was not a bad episode. It was just the timing was was hard on that one, yeah. and I I just struggled with how to do it and when to introduce one of those kinds. So it was that one, the which ended up being a good episode. I thought
1: I love the before times. The That's before times. Favorite new saying.
0: Okay, I'm going to ask you this one, and this is not even related to the podcast. But you are a professional photographer. Um, you're one of my favorite professional f- photographers. Uh, we use you for brick and elm all the time because you do a few things like very very well. You're the best food. I'm
1: blushing, you can't see
0: it. You're the best food stylist and food photographer in the Texas Panhandle. And I'll I'll I don't care who knows that, but. I want to know what cameras and photo editing software you use because I know every photographer has got their own thing. So like what what do you use or what do you prefer?
1: Um, I'm going to preface this by saying I don't care <laughs> about that kind of like I, I feel bad because photographers ask me this and they get real excited and they want to nerd out on it and I'm just not that person.
0: You're not a gearhead.
1: I'm not. I'm not a gearhead and I kind of wish I was but dang I can't afford it first of all. Um, I use a Canon 5D Mark IV, which is fine. It's sturdy. It's easy to use. It's got Wi-Fi, so I can access it from my phone and use that as a remote, uh, Mm -hmm. which is great. I edit in Photoshop, which a lot of people, especially younger photographers, give me a hard time for.
0: Because they want you to use like Lightroom Lightroom. or something. They all
1: use Lightroom, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's fantastic. Go for it. I learned on Photoshop. I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to take the time to learn a new piece of software So, I use a 50 millimeter. A lot of the time, I have other lenses and I couldn't name them. Like, that's how far out of it I am. Like, I know what I have, I know what it does, but I couldn't tell you the name of it.
0: You're largely self taught, right?
1: Yes. I went to Amarillo College for one semester and I learned film Mm -hmm. photography, which was fun. I learned how to develop. Yeah.
0: Darkroom stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I loved
1: that. But, you know, I just realized I don't really need to spend the money on going to school for photography. There are so many free ways to learn this skill. Uh, YouTube is amazing, thank goodness. And then there's always, of course, workshops that you can find online that can teach you other things. But, um, you know, not to discourage anybody if you want to go to school for it. I'm sure you'll learn a lot, but you don't have to. So
0: I'm going to ask you this. (laughs) Um, This is my interviewer coming out. Uh the accessibility of photography is, like, easier than it has ever been because it it used to be that, yeah, you had to know how to use, you know, an SLR camera. You had to know how to develop stuff. You had to know a little bit about lenses. And now you can just, like, you can go buy a really nice camera for $1,000 or something, and then you can edit it on Photoshop. And so there are a lot of photographers, Mm -hmm. professional photographers even, who do portrait work and all that kind of stuff. Um, But, like, they're not as good as you at portraits. They're not anywhere close as good as you at like food stuff. So how do you learn that stuff of it? Like, what makes you what makes you such a good food stylist? Because that's it's so specialized.
1: Okay, listeners, I, I did roll my eyes there. For She's a rolling second. your eyes at
0: me, but I want to know the answers <laughs> to these questions.
1: Uh, I I don't I don't know. I hate the saying "Oh, you've just got it," but I think. I think I was just lucky that my brain is designed in a way that I can see what looks good in a box because you're working within this little box where you have to you know make everything look good and that's you know the way my brain is wired so I like one of the first art shows I had uh, Scott Hyde who is a photographer from '50s, '60s, 70s and on he worked with Andy Warhol and a bunch mm-hmm. of other artists in New York this dude is in the Smithsonian like he knows he came up to me and he said, you've got it. And that was the only time I've really ever taken that phrase seriously. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'll take it. And I think, you know, I I get better when I'm pushed by other artists. There have been other artists in town that I think, oh, man, I got to step up my game because that is that is good I need to keep working harder to get better at what I do. And that's just how craft works. I mean, anything you do, you can't get stagnant. You have to keep learning new things and getting inspired and looking at other photographers and just learning new skills. Play. It's a lot of play. Yeah, yeah, I get to play for a living. You do. It's great.
0: Okay, that's a good answer. I didn't roll my eyes at that at all.
1: (laughs) Okay, now you get to answer questions about what you do. So a question from Ryan which writing and publishing software do you prefer?
0: Well, I'm, I'm probably like you in that I'm not very precious about that kind of stuff. Um, I have used a lot of different publishing software. I have written books entirely in Microsoft Word and edited books, 70,000 page books. I've written, uh, I do most of my work today in Google Drive. Just their general Google documents. I don't even know what it's called. Sometimes I work in Pages, which is native on the Mac, and then I just export stuff to a into a Word doc so other people can use it. And I've used Scrivener before, which writers will know. Uh, it's written, or it was uh, an application that was designed for writers, and it has some things that I like in it. Um, and that's probably what Ryan wants to know is whether or not I use Scrivener. Uh, and I do, and it's fine, and I've uh, self-published some books to kindle on that. so um it's it's cool, but i I'm just more interested in simplicity, and I think I think Google Drive and being able to share things that way and collaborate on things is the easiest way to do it. And most of my work for clients takes place in the the Google suite of applications, whether it's Googleverse. spreadsheets, the Google verse. See, that's boring to me. (laughs) Who cares?
1: I'm sure Ryan is like, yeah, (laughs) that's cool. Let's talk more about that. I'm going to kind of continue with that. So, we had a question from Ashley that says, How do you find people to interview? And then, what's that process like?
0: Uh, If you tell me to interview someone, I interview them. Yeah. Several of my past guests began with your recommendation. And what's cool about that is, most of those past guests uh, also ended up being friends of mine and ours. So, You recommend the right people, and I end up not just using them as guests, but (laughs) using them as friends. Terrible (laughs) phrase. Um, I have people recommend to me at this point all the time someone that I should talk to, and I appreciate that. I I like that because it's much better than when someone approaches me themselves and says, hey, you should interview me. Because in that case, they usually want to get some publicity out of it. They, Mm -hmm. They want to promote... And, and not in a bad way. I mean, they have a nonprofit that they want people to know about, or they have a service that they want people to know about. And a lot of times, you know those would be great episodes if it's the right person. Um, and so I, I've relaxed at the beginning, I was just like, no, a thousand times no, You're never going to come on if if it's for publicity. Uh today I I'm a little bit easier with that if if I can tease out some more of their stories. But when somebody says I know this person and this person is interesting to me and I know that that person knows about the podcast, knows how I operate, knows the questions that I ask, then I I take that seriously. And so a lot of times I'll read something about someone and I will kind of come across their work and I will ask them to be on the show. But a lot of times people send me in a certain direction and I do my research and it's usually a a guest that I'm interested enough in. And if I feel like I'm interested in that person, then I imagine my listeners are too.
1: Then they come and sit in this beautiful little room? Yeah,
0: then they come and sit in this little room, which is nice. I I think it's probably underwhelming uh, when guests come here because they're expecting like a sound studio and it's my office with a couple of acoustic tiles Thrown up here next to the desk,
1: and some cactuses,
0: and some cactuses and um, small plants, and my desk, which is never very tidy. Um, but no, it's it's pretty low rent production here, and that's fine. It's yeah. I, as long as it sounds good. Yeah, and that's your that's your problem. <laughs> you have to deal with that. That's not on me. The process is i I usually do a lot of interviews compressed into a couple of weeks. And it takes about 45 minutes to an hour to interview someone to end up with a 45-minute podcast. Um, I will always do the interview separate from all of the introduction and all of the sponsorship messages and all of that stuff. I do that later and send you that in a separate file. And then usually I'll stack up five or six interviews at once and then slowly release those from week to week. Um, trying to alternate men and women if I can, but that doesn't always work as I'm scheduling those. And uh, occasionally, I'll get in a situation like this one where, you know, last week I was supposed to do a whole bunch of interviews, and I had to cancel all of those. Um, so, you know, going into the new year, I don't have a, a large stash of interviews to to send out to you, and so that means the next couple of weeks I have to do a lot of scheduling.
1: So y'all get ready to talk. Yeah, Jason needs interviews. Everybody get
0: ready. I may be calling you.
1: Okay, so out of all of those interviews, what was the most unexpected moment that happened in an interview? And that question comes from Lacey.
0: Lacey, who is a past podcast guest, um, Lacey Scott. Uh, I'll give you two of those. One happened right before an interview and one happened during an interview. Uh, The one that was during an interview, I had a guest. I always tell my, if, if I think about it, I ask my guests to turn off their phones or at least silence their cell phones. Most of them do it automatically. Um, sometimes I ask, sometimes I forget to ask. And this guest, I forgot to ask. And her phone rang during the interview a couple of times, and it was on the setting where Siri actually announces who is calling. And so she would be talking, and then all of a sudden this other voice comes on announcing the phone call as the phone is also ringing. And it was just like a cacophony of, of stuff um, you had to edit out a lot in uh-huh. that episode. Um, so that was unexpected just because I don't expect my guests' phones to ring for one thing. I never expect them to announce the caller uh, and she just kept on talking like it was no big deal. So she certainly had wasn't surprised by that. so it was it was kind of funny.
1: It still turned out to be a great episode It was a great episode yeah.
0: and you did a fantastic job. I gave that to you and and I said, this one's a disaster. Good <laughs> luck uh, and it. It was way better than I thought it was going to be. So you are magic. I also had a guest, and this was about a year ago, who came in to record at 5 o'clock. So it was the end of the work day. And usually I do it during the day, but this was at the end. And he came in, and as he was walking in and we are just kind of making small talk before we started, he said, man, I am so nervous about this. I just, oh, I'm just, I've been thinking about it all day. I'm really nervous. I was like, okay, well, it's fine. You can relax. And he was like, I really could use a shot of tequila, and I said, well, are you serious? And he said, if you have some, yeah. And so I was like, well, okay. And so we did a shot of tequila together before recording. Oh,
1: you took a shot, too. I took a
0: shot, too. I wasn't going to let him take Aww, a shot by himself. That's
1: so nice.
0: So we did that and then turned on the uh, turned on the recording software and, and went for it. And he was great. It was a great show. I'm not going to tell you who it was or no, which one. No. Um, but that was the first time I – well, other than when I interviewed Chris Seals, that was the first time that – well, Any alcohol yeah, was yeah. Uh, consumed during the recording process. And when Chris and I did it, I actually cut that part out, but we, we did a little toast on the air. Nice. It was just too long.
1: Well, and I'll have y'all know, I have tried to get Jason, uh, before I went sober, I tried to get Jason to do a drunk episode with me, but he doesn't get drunk.
0: I don't. I, I am extremely in control of my consumption
1: yes.
0: of most things.
1: I tried, y'all. I tried. Yeah.
0: It would probably be an interesting episode. I don't know what I'm hilarious, like Jason. in that state. <laughs> it might not be. Maybe I'm an angry drunk.
1: No, you're not. You don't have an angry bone in your body. I very, I
0: very much could be. it would be filled with rage. <laughs> with the year coming to a close, Hey Amarillo is using this space for a special nonprofit highlight sponsored by SKP Creative. This week's nonprofit is The Opportunity School. You heard Jill Goodrich on this podcast just a few weeks ago. And the Opportunity School, which she directs, is a nationally accredited educational preschool program serving young children from low-income families. High-quality learning experiences like kids get at Opportunity School can help them find success not just in school as they get older, but throughout their lives. The early years are critical, and Opportunity School invests in children when they need it most. To learn more about this nonprofit, visit OpportunitySchool.com. And thanks again to SKP for calling attention to their work. Also, Panhandle Plains Historical Museum always sponsors Eight Straight. But since we didn't have an eight straight in this episode, I want to suggest that you take advantage of any free time you have around the holidays to go visit the museum. The current Emil Biström show is fantastic. It's one of my favorite shows that the museum has done in several years. I can't say enough good things about it. And so is the new Texas Dressed exhibit, which features the costumes from the Texas Outdoor Musical over the years. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, I'll ask you this one. How has editing this podcast and listening to the various guests changed your view of Amarillo? Because you've only been doing this for about three years for me?
1: Has it been that long?
0: At least two and a half. Okay. I bet I, I bet I did February, I think I seventy or eighty episodes before you got involved. Okay. Uh, but I know you listened to it before yeah, that, yeah. but how I mean, how has editing
1: this changed? It has introduced me first of all, introduced me personally to a lot of people, um, just getting to know you and getting to know guests, which is such a fun connection i I love this city, so the more people I get to meet, the better. Uh, then also it's shown me. Parts of the city I am not familiar with. I Either because I didn't grow up there or because I don't put myself there, which I should do more of. We all should. Um, I knew versions of Amarillo's Underbelly growing up in the punk rock scene and the art scene. But this shows me pockets of Amarillo that deserve a voice and they deserve to be highlighted and celebrated and you do that and... It shows me where Amarillo needs to grow, possibly where Amarillo needs to heal, Mm -hmm. but uh, it also shows me where Amarillo is thriving and where people are just so heartfelt and putting so much into this city just to make it better. And it's also shown me how much people hate wind. Yeah. A whole lot. (laughs)
0: Wind is the answer to my What does Amarillo have too much of?
1: Every time. Just
0: about every other episode.
1: You'll gotta stop answering that. Well, question. I
0: need to start asking it a different way.
1: Yeah. We all hate wind, y'all.
0: I should just say, Other than wind.
1: Yes. That's from now on, Other than wind.
0: What does Amarillo have too much of? <laughs> or
1: construction. Of? We, all, we all get that yeah.
0: too. But I mean, it. It, it's nice to hear that everybody thinks the same thing. <laughs> There's <laughs> community in that that sort of answer. Yeah, I
1: don't know why we settled here, but here we are. Yeah. Well, what about you? How has it changed it for you?
0: I think that well, similar to you, that it is has introduced me to more people than I would meet in my day-to-day life. And that's always positive, I think. I mean I I work at home. I've worked at home since two thousand twelve. I don't go work in coffee shops. If I get out of the house, it's because I have a meeting with somebody. And so I don't naturally just meet a lot of people. Um, And so because of the podcast, I am introducing myself to strangers and inviting them into my home and then letting them talk to me for 45 minutes at a time. And like, that's nobody does that. Even if you're a social person, that doesn't happen. You're never in a conversation where you just sit and listen to somebody for 45 minutes talk about themselves. Mm. Um, and so that, I think, is valuable for me because it it hasn't just introduced me to people I wouldn't have otherwise met, but like it it helps me to get to know people in a unique way, in a deeper way. And so that is why I end up becoming friends with a lot of my podcast guests. I, I think that sort of organically, you mentioned the the underbelly of Amarello. I gravitate toward guests who are a little bit different or maybe unexpected. On a podcast like this, because I, I feel like it would be real easy for me to go interview all of the entrepreneurs in Amarillo or all of the CEOs of successful businesses in Amarillo or people that are high profile. Um, and that would be a fun podcast and they would get to talk about themselves and it would be interesting to people. But to me, that feels a little bit expected. If you have a podcast about a city, then you're going to talk to all the best known people in the city. And I don't really want to do that. I want to talk to the weirdos in Amarillo and the people who come from disadvantaged, um, economically disadvantaged, you know, neighborhoods. I want to talk to people who have stories that are not your typical stories. And so I think it's helped me to meet more people, but not like meet people in a I'm networking and I'm going to make these great business connections, but like meet people who are the kind of people that make a place interesting. And those kinds of people are not always the CEOs, you know? Um, And so I'm, I'm more drawn to that kind of thing. And so that is something that maybe has even changed in my initial idea of what the show would be is that I'm, I'm interviewing more of the, the people that nobody knows.
1: Right, that need a voice.
0: That need a voice, yeah. But it does make me me feel good about Amarillo because when you talk to somebody who has just moved back here and they moved back here on purpose because they saw something of value, that slips by me because I've been here for years. And so the fresh perspective that they bring is important to me. And then the fresh perspective of people who grew up here and can— can compare today's Amarillo to Amarillo 40 years ago, that's also interesting to me. And so just just hearing from people outside of my own sphere is always, I think, always good. And always good for the show.
1: You let other people hear outside of their own sphere, which is incredibly important, especially now with everyone living in an echo chamber in mm-hmm. their social media, to get to hear the, the perspective of all kinds of different people i think really helps
0: and that's that is very intentional and and maybe i don't talk about that enough but i really do believe that a community is stronger when it's more diverse and i think humans are like kind of naturally drawn to people who are like us because that's where we feel comfortable as oh, people yeah it's tribalism yeah. and there are some benefits of tribalism you can protect mm-hmm. against the outside invader um, on the African savannah or wherever you're gonna do that. But like it's it's a better city if those tribes intermingle. And so if if with the podcast I can force a little bit of that inter intermingling, then yeah I'm gonna do that. Good job. Well thanks. <laughs> okay, Lance asks us, and this is Lance Garza from Calichi, in fact. If you could interview any person from Emmerilos past, who would you choose and why? You get to go first.
1: Okay, I thought about this, and I would—I would actually want to interview M.D. Oliver Eckle, aka Dora Oliver Eckle, aka the Duchess. And I thought about it for a while because I was like, maybe I don't <laughs> want to interview her. I don't know. That I'd we, be
0: intimidated by her.
1: Uh, I don't know that we'd get along. But I would want to interview her in now times. Like if I could bring her back to Amarillo as it is now and let her see it, I would want to know, is she proud of us? Is she disappointed? Did we mess it all up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> her her dream for Amarillo. Uh, I mean, this lady came rolling in with, you know, horse, carriage, furs, jewelry. More
0: money than any of the I local mean, banks.
1: All put together, yeah. all combined, which is really impressive. This woman came into Amarillo and uh, bought land and developed and got lots of money from banks by pretending. Well, she didn't even pretend to be a man. She she just changed her name so it was M.D. Oliver Eccle, so it looked like a man's name, so she could get all this money. And I do, I mean, as a female that likes to ruffle feathers in Amarillo, I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So I would be interested to see how she feels. She actually uh, started the Tri-State Fair Which is something that I would like to see changed. So I would like to see how she feels about it if she came and saw it now.
0: Ooh, changed how?
1: Uh, I don't like that the majority of the food is traveling through. It's not like locally owned uh, restaurants or organizations.
0: Those are not Amarillo food trucks parking. They're not food trucks. They're not you know like
1: uh, other cities that have fairs. They have uh, nonprofits that have. Food out there and they can raise money that way, which is really cool. I love that. Why don't we do that? I feel like
0: it used to be like that. It did. And okay. it's
1: changed. And it's sad. I I'm so sorry if I upset anybody with this, but I want what's best for Amarillo and I don't think our fair is what's best anymore because a lot of that money leaves our city. And it's from what I have heard from other people, it's just a sad event to go to now. Hmm. And it used to be something we all looked forward to. And I would just like to see that changed, and I think MD would too. Make
0: it a little more local.
1: Make it more local. Make it more fun. Make it more interactive. You know, um, keep that money here. I don't know. I would. I would love to just bring her back for a day.
0: But she was also, you know, on the temperance society boards while also having her own speakeasy.
1: Yeah, that she
0: owned, which I can appreciate that sort of hypocrisy. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a powerful woman.
1: I, I dig her. What would be your dream
0: i think i've I think I've answered this before on the show, but it would probably be bones hooks and i th- there's just a lot that fascinates me about his life um you know number one, he was the second African American to come to Amarillo after jerry calloway uh and so that is unique period but he was he was well respected within the cowboy community because even as a teenager he was one of the best horse breakers in the state of Texas which says a lot about his skills on a horse and that's where he that's what brought him to the area that's where he built his reputation and that's not like a a way to gain any sort of wealth at all whether you're a white guy or a black guy in the 1880s but he he did use that skill to attract the attention of the local landowners and the ranchers. And when he came to Amarillo, the business community, and he was able to trade on that respect to advocate on behalf of the African-American community and it put him in, in a place that I don't know if, if this is a controversial thing or if it would be controversial now, but where he could travel in both worlds. And so he had the attention of the white business owners. He had the attention of the black working class people in Amarillo, and he had the respect of both sides. And so he could, you know, he could gain the money and the investment to start a place like the North Heights. And so you have this guy who's largely uneducated, uh, whose professional skill is horsebreaking, and yet he becomes a developer because he has access to the money in Amarillo. And so that ability to go like between both of these different worlds and to do business and to ride horses and all that stuff just makes him a fascinating character to me. And so I'd love to talk to him. He also like, you know, started the Little Dogies Club, which was an alternative to like the Maverick Club, you know, when African-Americans couldn't get into some of those places. And so he was taking care of like all these little boys who didn't have any place to go and trying to... Uh To be a mentor to them, you know when there's still segregation in Amarillo, so well, there's still segregation in Amarillo today, but at, there's there's all kinds of aspects of him, from um just his advocacy for his community to his forward thinking to his ability to uh, his his influence in so many parts of the city,
1: yeah, hugely influential is he buried it yeah,
0: yeah okay. he is, and um you know you can see his his grave marker there of course we have bones hooks park um, that has a little bit about him but i feel like i feel like we should have some sort of like historical marker somewhere mm-hmm. yeah. just about his life and somewhere in the north heights here's one that's a question from ren uh, and he asks what rules do you live your life by or what life lessons would you pass on to others dang ren come on ren I want to know your answer to this. You have a code. I want to know what your code is.
1: Empathy, honestly. I think there needs to be more empathy towards ourselves so that we can be more empathetic towards others. Um, I hear a lot about the golden rule, especially growing up in a very religious community. But a lot of times that golden rule isn't extended to ourselves, Hmm. which I think is where we lose sight and we don't tend to be as loving and caring towards other people because we're not doing that to ourselves. So I definitely encourage people to really actually sit with their thoughts and with themselves and be gracious with themselves. And, man, once you love yourself and actually love yourself, not egotistically love yourself, but, you know. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Love yourself like you do your friends, you know. That's when you can really make change and uh, actually connect with other people on a healthy level. So I, y'all, Jason's my Oprah. I tease him all the time about this, (laughs) but he he really, he's like my guru. So I am very interested to hear what you have to say.
0: I think the part of my personal code that probably defines more of my life than anything else, and, and Amy would probably say this is also true, is that i am most comfortable and this is a terrible thing to like talk about or say out loud but i'm most comfortable helping other people or doing something for other people more so than i am for myself and sometimes to a fault um so i could listen to you but i grew up you know within a church culture that taught me to value the teachings of Jesus. And one of the teachings of Jesus that just stuck so hard with me is is the virtue of personal sacrifice. And so like as a teenager, I was I was washing my family's dishes without asking because I knew it was a help to my mom. And to this day like I'm not comfortable with a meal ending if I'm not the one gathering up all the plates and washing the dishes. Like I feel like that's something I need to be doing. And, and that kind of applies to a lot of different parts of my life where if I'm at an event or a party, like it's hard for me to sit and watch somebody else clean up because I feel like I should be helping them. And maybe I should be. And so I, so many of my decisions are made based on me feeling like I need to help this other person do this thing. Sometimes it's a way, and I'm sure this would be true, and a therapist would tell me that it's a way for me to avoid other things I don't want to deal with by being active in some other way. So I'd I'd rather, you know, help you pack up your boxes or move your boxes or something like that than sit with my own feelings. I'd rather plan a funeral and go through all those details than just sit, Mm -hmm. you know, and and deal with some of that stuff, which I've realized, you know, over the past week. Um, So I am most comfortable doing things to help other people when it's not like a situation like a podcast recording or (laughs) or working for clients or something like that.
1: I think that kind of goes back to Amarillo having wounds it needs to heal. I think we were raised to kind of sacrifice ourselves for, for other people, which honestly is counterproductive. And eventually we tend to get resentful because of that and we don't know why we may not understand where that anger is coming from Mm -hmm. but it's because we never took time to work on ourselves and heal ourselves so that we could be better friends and partners and community members
0: yeah i mean it's hard for me to relax it is yeah because i i just always feel like there's something i need to do maybe i don't even need to do it but it's easy to say, I need to do this, and it's not for my benefit. It's for someone else's benefit, mm-hmm. and that, that's all the justification I need, um, which I guess you can do for a while, but you'll burn out real quick.
1: Yes, yes, you will. Please don't burn out. We need you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just always on the verge of burning out. <laughs> we got two questions that were kind of the same. Melanie asked, what is your ideal vision for the future of Amarillo? And Ren. Uh, we're going to stick with some of his questions. He asked, what do you fear for Amarillo's future? And on the flip side, what are you most hopeful for in Amarillo's future? Let's start with the fear one. Okay. What do you worry about?
1: Something I see all the time, I even did it myself, is the more progressive, creative thinkers leaving because the things aren't already done for them. Like you can go to Austin, you can go to L.A., you can go wherever where all the things have already been done for you and you get to just reap the benefit and enjoy yeah, you know, restaurants and lifestyle and people and all of that. It's it's already been done, but...
0: Somebody else has created yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: a place for you. So they
1: leave Amarillo and then it just keeps being not quite what we want it to be. So I fear that that's going to keep being the cycle. And I get it. It's easy to get burnt out because you get shot down time and time again here. But... I get excited at the thought of leaving a legacy because I'm somewhere where I can make a difference. I'm not just another fish in a ginormous Mm -hmm. ocean. I'm, you know, in a pond where I can actually make a difference. So I, I think I just worry that people are going to keep leaving.
0: I think that's a valuable way to look at it though, is that you could say someone like you, you could go to Austin and you would be one of many talented photographers or food stylists, or whatever creativity is your thing, like you would be one of a lot of those kinds of creative people in Austin. Here, people know you and recognize your work and see your work. And that that smaller pond aspect, I think, can be, um, with the right person, it can be really good, creatively speaking. Some people, it might be bad to be well-known as the best painter in Amarillo or something. I don't know. But I I like the idea of, and we've said this before on the podcast, that that you can be the first person to do something in Amarillo still.
1: And how exciting is that? Yeah. I think. I do too. What is your? I'm
0: worried (laughs) about water.
1: Oh, that's fair. Yeah. I
0: just, there's a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, number one, we're in a place where we don't have water and it's getting worse and we depend on water for, stuff like agriculture that is so important to this area that we can't just stop that like there has to be innovation to figure out how to do the how to grow the crops, how to feed the cattle, all that kind of stuff in a place with no water. But the thing that to me is is scary about it is that innovation has to come from a At least an awareness of the need and i feel like there's a lot of people for political reasons that are just ignoring the need or assuming that someone else will solve the problem Um, and and an unwillingness to admit that like 40 or 50 years from now we're just going to be dry maybe sooner than that is not driving the kinds of innovation that we need and so we've always been a a society here in amarillo where we solve our own problems we we use our our resources and we take care of our resources and we figure out a way to do it. And I don't want politics or a desire to protect certain parts of industry or whatever the excuses might be to keep us from solving this problem. But it definitely has put us behind on solving that problem. And that's something I worry about.
1: Yeah, that's literally lives on the line. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Like, I mean, what happens? What happens if the aquifer dries up? Are we going to get water from the Colorado, just like all of Arizona and California do? <laughs>
1: I mean, they're all running out of water too. Yeah, yeah, they're. yeah.
0: Well, let's not end with that question. Doomsday. Okay, what are your mo- what are you most hopeful for related to Amarillo, or what is your ideal vision for the future of the city?
1: I have like this euphoric vision of a rideable, walkable, livable city that is healthy and has healthy options for everybody that's accessible to everybody in town, not just uh, wealthier areas or neighborhoods. Um, I know that's kind of, for some people that seems unrealistic and that makes me sad Mm -hmm. because then they just write it off. Yeah. And I don't,
0: they don't even try.
1: Yeah. They're like, oh, that can't happen. Like it can, it really can. I promise. I mean, you see square mile, you see the food bank, you're like, these places are really showing us what we are capable of, and those are just small organizations. I know they they are big organizations, but in the grand scheme of things, they're good examples of what we can do if we work together to make our city better and to educate each other on how to be healthier. What's your dream, Amarillo?
0: I get excited when I hear the discussions about economic development, and that's a really boring answer but i know that there are people in the city who are working hard to expand our economy beyond agriculture and building helicopters and oil and gas
1: okay so you're talking about like the veterinary school i'm
0: talking about big big initiatives so there are people talking about how does amarillo become a tech oasis for all of the southwest How does Amarillo begin to incubate the creation of biomedical equipment or be a place where vaccines are produced? How, you know, with with all of the cattle that come through here, with all of the oil and gas that come through here, we're still drawing from outside places to get like all the medication for the cows or to get all the materials to you know, take beef to different places or all that stuff. And we could be producing all that here because we've got all this space. We've got all these resources. We've got all these unused warehouses downtown. Like, why are we not a tech hub? Why are we not a biomedical hub? Why are we not, you know, given our location, why are we not a transportation hub? And so there are discussions that are taking place about how can we expand the economy here to bring, other kinds of businesses like on a large scale into the city and if any of those are successful it could take us from you know 200,000 people now to 300,000 or 400,000 which that by itself is not like that's not a goal is for us to double in size but it is a goal for us to have more sustainable jobs to have jobs that people can do and live on like Amazon, you know, mm-hmm. everybody hates Amazon, but like people are going to get to make decent money, you know, without a college education that is good for communities like and the barrio. That That's good. That here. keeps people here, yeah. young people. So the more those opportunities, I think the better. And I think Amarillo is uniquely positioned just geographically to be a hub like that. And so my ideal Amarillo is an Amarillo that continues moving along this trajectory that we've got. And 10 years from now, some of these things that are being discussed will actually have taken place um, to have some of the opportunity that places like Austin have without the drawbacks of places like Austin, you know, where you don't have terrible traffic or Elon Musk coming here or anything like that. Uh, so that's my dream, is that we we move forward and we grow some but not so much that we become obnoxious.
1: Well, I think the way our landscape is laid out, it's going to be different than Austin. We have more space to work with, so we're not going to be as cramped. But, I mean, yeah, why not? Why not Amarillo be successful? Yeah,
0: And and I think that why not is a question that seems real obvious to us, but there are a lot of people that don't want that, that don't want Amarillo to grow or that don't want Amarillo to change. They want it to just be the sleepy little place that they grew up with
1: which is why so many people leave.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. Okay, one more question just because this one is fun. Have you or anyone you know ever seen or experienced anything you can't explain in Amarello? This comes from Ren.
1: Oh, Ren knew.
0: Ren knew that you would be here. Yeah. He knew you had some ghost stories and things like oh, that. So Ren.
1: Thanks, buddy. Tell me
0: about the time you saw Bigfoot in ah, Thompson Park.
1: Love ghost stories. I have not seen Bigfoot. I'm not going to start that rumor. So I grew up in Canyon, so most of my ghost stories are actually from there. But in Amarillo, I mean, this town has got some history. If y'all know about the Bowery District downtown where the old um, train station used to be, which is no longer there. I mean, people were like killing each other, and that's all fun now. that We We can laugh about that (laughs) now. (laughs) Uh, I once was staying at a friend's house, which is... Along I-27, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and there was a woman in the room with me, clear as day. I could see her, every detail. Uh, It was a bit more of a modern-looking woman, but she had a bandana across her face, and I was dead certain I was about to die. I thought she'd broken in. I was going to be murdered. And I froze, and I watched her, and I watched her look around the room, and then she was gone. Was it? She was. I mean, like poof, gone. Like, like I blinked and she was gone. So, I I'm real skeptical about ghost stories. I still love them, but I'm always skeptical. But that's like the one that I just I cannot explain it. It mm-hmm. was so clear as day, and it still freaks me out a little bit. When like I you
0: couldn't it. say, well, that was just like sleep paralysis or dream no, state or I anything. Have
1: experienced that for decades, and it was nothing like that. So, so I don't really have any like ghost stories of, you know, walking through downtown and seeing, you know, MD all over herself, like (laughs) walking through the city or anything like that. But I think we have a lot of residual energy in this old city. So I'm sure there's plenty of ghost stories. We should just do a Halloween episode. Well,
0: I mean, full disclosure, like I wanted, we, we tried to do a brick and elm cover story about emerald's ghost stories and decided against it because of legal reasons (laughs) and liability reasons where if we were saying there are ghosts here here are stories about them and then people could say oh i read that there are ghosts and now i'm trespassing in your property because brick and elm told us there were ghosts here we didn't want that to happen but i've heard a lot of stories uh, tied to specific buildings now (laughs) well we went on a ghost tour together Yes, yes um so there are stories about St. Anthony's Hospital. There are stories about Summit Elementary School. Um, I think if you don't have to look very far to get any of those, I've not had any personal experiences here uh, with with anything ghostly or okay, he said unexplained. Here.
1: So that means you've had them elsewhere.
0: I've had one.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. It was in the mountains.
1: Oh. Ooh. Even better. You now you have to tell. Okay.
0: Him. Amy and I were backpacking with another couple friend of ours. And we were about four miles deep in the backcountry in Hinsdale County, Colorado. And this was like in 90, mid nineties. And we went in our tent because it was nighttime time to go to bed. And our friends went in their tent. And then about two hours later, we woke up to a bright flash. Like someone was standing outside our tent, taking a photograph with a flash. And so I called out to our friends, what are y'all doing? Because I thought it was them. And they said, was that you? Because they were still in their tent. And so to this day, I still have no idea what that flash was because it happened between our tents in the middle of nowhere with no electricity.
1: No lightning, no no storm. No lightning,
0: there's no storm. Still have no idea what it was.
1: Dang. So, oh, I love that stuff. Yeah,
0: that's Gosh. that's my one and only unexplained story.
1: If y'all want to hear ghost stories, just hit me up. We'll go for coffee, and we can talk ghost stories all day. I mean, that's my favorite thing to talk about.
0: My brother's heard stories. Uh, he works a lot in the north side of Amarillo with kids who've heard stories from their parents about a goat man who used to roam through the North, the north Heights. I'm
1: okay, sure. I have heard that one, yeah. And then there's like a section off of Northwestern, like that dead ends basically – Supposedly, that's called Hell's Gate. Okay. And I don't know what happens out there. I've driven out there, but nothing. I didn't get to experience anything. But supposedly, that's a haunted area, too.
0: Back in the 90s, people used to tell us that there were satanic groups that met like in the sewer systems underneath the mall.
1: Oh, that was just me and my friends. They just seen you guys down yeah. there. That, I, um,
0: I think a lot of that was satanic panic um, yeah. storytelling. I bet there are some good stories. I wish that we could tell them in a publication like the magazine.
1: Maybe we can do a Halloween podcast. Someday.
0: We should do this again. Um, it's fun to not do an, a regular podcast interview Yeah, from time to time.
1: Hang out with a friend and chit-chat.
0: That's right. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: Well, sure. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Angelina Marie for sitting in on these questions and for editing this episode. We took out a lot of stuff because we just talked back and forth to each other trying to figure out how to ask these questions and answer them. Uh, Thanks also to my sponsors, the Discover Amarillo app, SKP Creative, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. If you're looking for a place for end-of-year giving, please consider Opportunity School online at OpportunitySchool.com. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Hey Amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Griselda, Katie Linger, Barbara and Jim Witten, Jess Heredia, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, and Corey Burns. This has been episode 229. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.